Before we get into another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast, we want to say thank you to all our listeners. We appreciate your prayers, support, and encouragement. We also want to send a special thanks to our monthly financial partners. We could not do what we do without you. We have been able to equip college students at historically black colleges and universities and facilitate seminars for pastors and leaders because of your financial support. If the Jude 3 Project has been a blessing to you, please consider becoming a monthly partner. No gift is too small or large, whether you give one time or monthly. We appreciate it. You can give online at jude3project.com by hitting the donate button or by mail by sending your gift to Jude 3 Project at P.O. Box 26206, Jacksonville, Florida, 32226. Thanks again. Now let's join the Jude 3 Project podcast. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Jude 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jude 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest. He's no stranger to the Jude 3 Project. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Emisho Baraka Lewis. <laughs> what, was with the, what was that with the pause? Because I was trying to figure out what what is his name? <laughs> oh, gosh. This is the worst. So Baraka. All right, so. First, let's start off by I feel like I, I, I need some equity in this organization because this is probably my fourth time or fifth time. I don't know. Just depending on if we count the tour. Um, so from now on, I need to be introduced as co-host and co-founding member of Jew 3 Project. Let's go. I've been using you for your celebrity status. That's I'm, what's happening. Well, you, there's much better <laughs> options out there. So let, me, let me say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you want to you want to like you know swing around the d level celebrity <laughs> pool and come on come through yeah i'm happy to see show today uh without some uh turquoise shoes i've seen him in several <laughs> times lately so, <laughs> just coming from my fashion um, first of all my fashion is inspired by the lord so let's talk about that that's what we need to have an apologetics of fashion fashion apologetics and i'll definitely will lead that so let's go. Uh, well, for those who don't know who you are, uh, can you give them just a little bit of background about yourself? Yes. Um, I am, my name is uh, Amisho Baraka. Some people call me Sho Baraka. Um, artist, mostly known as an artist, uh, communicator. Some people say thought leader, curator, whatever. Um, um, been performing for about 10 years now as a uh, hip-hop artist, but at around the same time started to be somewhat of a, I guess you can say as a, a, a legitimate voice in certain spaces when it comes to issues of justice, race, and creativity. And I've started a couple of organizations. One is a social political organization called the Ant Campaign with two wonderful brothers. Um, 
and uh, started a, a, a site called Fourth District where we try to invite conscious culture to to address issues uh, in current events, politics, arts, everything, whole gambit from a from a conscious Christian perspective. And uh, so there's a lot of things that are in the pipe. Uh, hopefully I'll be an author sometime soon. Um, I want to be smart like you. So I'm thinking about going back to school and uh, pursuing some graduate and PhD work. So, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a list of things that people can call me, but one thing you can't call me is a bad dresser. <laughs> and apparently you're the new co-founder of G3. Yep. There we go. And I'm also a co-founder of Jew3 Project, which I am so excited about the work we're doing. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, today we're going to talk about still. something that we talked about in Philly on the plane after my seat got hijacked. <laughs> <laughs> Not hi- Well, yes, it did get hijacked. Hijack is a very intense word, obviously, but yes, you got, you got swindled out of your seat. It was quite funny. And I swindled out of my window seat, but that's another yeah. story for another time. Um, we had a conversation about uh, church attendance. Um, well, one of the conversations we had uh, was about church attendance and this whole concept of being too woke for church. Uh, because mm-hmm. I'm noticing, I, I tweeted last week, I'm noticing that a lot of thought leaders and Christian artists don't attend church regularly. And um, one of the reasons that I'm seeing amongst <clears throat> Black millennials, not just thought leaders, is being too woke for church. So... They first started in the black church. They were like, man, this isn't stimulating me intellectually. It's not theologically robust. Mm-hmm. So they left, went to a white evangelical church and was like, oh, these folks are racist. Then they went to a, <laughs> <laughs> not all. I don't want to be with the right. Right. No, no. Um, <laughs> but they, they felt like um, they weren't uh, addressing issues that were relevant to them. And then they went to a multi-ethnic church and now it's like, it's just too difficult to get people to understand my perspective. So I'm just not going to church at all. I'll just uh, podcast my favorite um, scholars and yeah. I'll just um, do it that way, pick. Yeah. that way. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, That's my story. Uh, which, That's my story. It's so interesting. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's because you remember when we were in Daytona uh, at BC, BCU and the guy Cooper. came and he was like, this is the, the your podcast is what I watch because I'm really not going to church. Yeah, and um, I gave my my um my tithe to G three, and I was just like, <laughs> keep giving me no. your tithe, but uh, you need to go to church. <laughs> no, go to church because we are not yeah. we are not a church. Uh, we just a supplement to help equip. Absolutely. But um, so people actually do that. Uh, and so what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, show. It's so much. Um, and let me first say that uh, I understand that is that is a lot of my story and my and my narrative. I came to know the Lord in college and I went to a I mean, a, a backwoods shouting Pentecostal type church. Right. It was a, it was technically it was a missionary Baptist church, but we would run around. We would speak in tongues. We were we had a good time in that church. And but there were times when I felt like the pastor wasn't faithful to the teaching of the scriptures in a way that even though I wasn't this mature Christian, I, I you know, I, w- I would consider myself well-read. I was a college student. So we were in the practice of understanding how to read, learn and espouse and just, or, or just dis- dissect deep thought. Right. And I felt like this pastor was appealing more to our emotional 
us, you know, um, uh, being um, rather than engaging us on why we should know God, right? And why we should uh, deeply understand who God is and what the story of God means. And so for me, I left that church. <laughs> the one thing, this joker got in the past, he was in the pulpit and he was like, I want you to turn in your Bible to Isaiah. He says, you see, the Bible says this, I want you to scratch that out and put this there. And that's when I knew that was the last time I was going to that church. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was like, this brother rewrite the scriptures. Okay. And so I left that church and went to uh, another church, which was a white church. And that church immediately stimulated my intellectualism, um, but it lacked any kind of emotion. So the, the kind of running thought I had, it was, it's easy to be emotional and not have a real spiritual, like, you know, to be spiritual but and not know God. But I feel like it's hard to know God and not be spiritual and not to have an emotion attached to it. Right. And so I felt like this church lacked the actual relational capacity that God wants with us and how he deeply is concerned with how we emote about him. And so and uh, amongst that, there were other parts of who I was that just wasn't being addressed or things that I felt like God cared about that wasn't being touched on. And so that put me in this pendulum swing. So Basically, um, what, what I would say to the question is, is, I've experienced that and I understand it, but I think it comes from a couple of misconceptions. One is historically, when you talk about the black church, the black church hasn't always been this emotional tool just to assuage our emotional, like our emotional engine. Like, I think Carter G. Woodson talks about it in The Miseducation of Negro and a lot of his uh, journal of the Christian history. He talks about how, there were a lot of churches, especially in the Caribbean um, part of the world, that kind of influenced a lot of American thought that was high church, that really was very academic. Um, even if you think about a lot of um, your African Anglican churches uh, and Episcopalian churches, a lot of those churches are very high church. They're, they're li- li- like their liturgy is, is very kind of orthodox in a sense. Um, and so there is a capacity for the intellectual stimulation. The problem is, is as you go through history, a lot of those churches were seen inadequate with reaching the, the context of the late 1800s and the early 1900s, because you've you got a, a bunch of people who are miseducated, right, who are uneducated. And so this part of his book is like you've got these educated uh, clergy people who are coming back down to the South. And they're not adequately able to reach their context, right? Who needs to learn French and Latin and Greek and Hebrew when they can't even understand how to, to put together a, a subject and a predicate, right? So that was part of their... And then you get lumped into this idea of, of selling out and, uh, and, and trying to uh, assimilate into white culture. Well, then there's the other flip side of that where um, you have white evangelicalism that didn't allow black people to integrate into their seminaries and their institutions. Um, And then Carter G. Wilson also talks about how a lot of your white Southern missionaries, uh, because they couldn't reach the aristocratic society in white culture, what they would go to the slave communities or the poor black communities and preach these revivals because they knew that at least they can get them with their emotionalism. So, it's a very layered and nuanced conversation. Um, and so it hasn't always been this just, well, the black churches is this and the white church is that. And even today, I think there's, it's a lot more layered. And so, um, but it all stimulates from, I think, from this 
need to feel like we identify ourselves in opposition to what whiteness is. And that's, that's been always my problem. If the white church says this is what is the heart of God, then this is what we seek, right? And I think that's quite problematic. And I think um, there is a lot, and, I, and, I, and I, I look back through Christian history, especially American Christian history, and there are people who experience God in a more existential way, they're calling like the Jarena Lees and the, and the Sojourner Truths and the Absalom Joneses, right? But then you also have the very educated and theologically driven Lemuel Haynes's and the Richard Clements and the and, uh, and the Francis Grimkes, who were Presbyterians and people who even at some point in time pastored white churches. So we have a dynamic history. So that's one thing I have, we always we have to posture is that our history is not as more fluid than we like to think it is. Um, and the problem is, is in society and not just black society in society in general, we just always work in binaries. We say it's either left or it's right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, charismatic. Or, you know, ex you know, and so there is this, this synthesis that we can have. And uh, I think oftentimes we just pendulum swing and when we just want something. Um, and that's the one thing that's been grateful for my soul is to find in black history people who've had nuance and who've been layered, who understood that they need to preach the justice and they need to speak to the emotion of the felt need while at the same time having a high regard of scripture. So, um, and I think the more we get to that, the more we understand our history and we don't allow our history to be defined by otherness, right? Or white, or white folks or, uh, or the perception of the zero sum mentality, we'll find more pastors today who will begin to wrestle with that dimension of, or that, that uh, who could deconstruct the polarization of saying, I have to fit this or fit that where we could do both. And I think, just shout out to Frequency Conference. I think the Frequency Conference where we, where we went in Philadelphia was a great catalyzation for that, even though other institutions have been doing that, kind of like the DeWitt conference, um, the Samuel DeWitt, and, and other folks like your, uh, your Evie Hills who have passed away, your Tom Skinners, people in history. Uh, but I will say the Frequency Conference is a new movement that I think is a, that, that excites me about high holding the scriptures in high esteem while at the same time keeping the the historical aesthetic of the black church. <laughs> I know I talked a long time. You gotta, you gonna have to shut me down. <laughs> no, that was good. And I, I like the fact that you pointed out that there's so many different within black churches, there's black church. Uh, there's so many different types of black churches. Um, Absolutely. When she was on, she talked about um, that we should say black churches and not the black church because it's mm -hmm. a narrative that um, there's one type of, of church. Um, Absolutely. So I think when we talk about the black church, white church, or multi-ethnic churches, when we tend to have bad experiences in a place that's predominantly one race, we say, well, black churches are like this. And then it's like, well, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or, you know, the black church is like this because you saw five TV preachers that were one way and they all live in different parts of the U.S. Right. And it's 2000 in Jacksonville alone, where I'm at, it's 2000 churches, over 2000 churches in Jacksonville. So you can't say that these five TV preachers paint the picture of churches. That's just not, that's not right. Um, yeah, right. And so I think. And woke folks do a good job of that, like creating this caricature of the black, like woke people, especially woke non-Christian folks, right? They talk about, you get your, your, uh, what's the boy's name, Umar Johnson's who get good up there and they paint this character of 
the black church and they said the black church ain't done nothing for the black community and you're sitting there like are you serious right now (laughs) and but it's easy because if you put in your mind like that one uh televangelist who may seem to be exploiting a particular community then yes the argument makes sense right but uh the same thing can be said about that particular contingency of black conscious movements who seem to be exploiting their communities as well who want to raise money for schools, who want to raise money for these particular institutions. But there seems to be a, a bunch of corrupt practices that are happening around them. So we could say, man, people who are outside the church, people who are in the black conscious community ain't doing that. All they're doing is exploiting. Just because I take one example and I create this character about you, that's, that's a very unfair assessment. And I think that's part of our problem with society. We, 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 just, we, we, we build characters around one particular individual and then we make that gospel. Mm-hmm. And in addition to caricatures, I think we talked about this when I was in Atlanta uh, with the Ann campaign, the bitterness um, and the um, inability mm-hmm. to reconcile relationships. So yeah. we create a pattern where we leave black churches without talking to leadership uh, and without understanding the process of change in churches and like, well, they won't listen to me. Well, you only been a Christian one year. <laughs> Yeah, all this new theology uh, understanding and you want the whole church to change based on your new revelation. Well, it's not going to work like that. You have no equity in the church. You've Mm -hmm. not done anything there but critique. You don't come to Bible study. You just come to Sunday service. And so there's no equity there for you to implement change and then you're like, oh, they're not open to change. Well, they're not open to change from you because you haven't built equity in the church. Um, and that's not and some people have equity and they still won't listen. But in mm-hmm. a lot of cases, I've seen people don't have equity in the ministry and want to make the leadership make a shift based on their their understanding of scripture. Um, and that's mm-hmm. not realistic. And then you go to a, a white church and then don't build equity there or try to build equity and then leave the same way you left the black church. And so you're just developing um, a real unhealthy way to to exit situations. Um, to exit organizations and you have a lot of, maybe you have a lot of truth, but that truth also has a lot of bitterness attached to it. Absolutely. Um, makes you yeah. uh, have unrealistic expectations for change. Absolutely. Yeah. What are your thoughts on there? I think you hit nail on the head. I think anytime you make decisions out of bitterness and, and, and anger, um, you're prone to make some terrible decisions. Um, I've learned so much in a recent, like, five or six months from reading I'm, I'm doing a project that has a lot to do around the civil rights movement and um and i'll be making an announcement on what that project is soon and i hope that you help promote it oh, <laughs> but one of the things that one of the things about nonviolence, right that is so amazing to me is this idea we're not just nonviolent in action we're nonviolent in posture like we're nonviolent and our thought process. The goal is not to exchange power. The goal is reconciliation. And the problem is, is reconciliation seems like a cowardice or uh, a weak word to a lot of people, right? Especially people who are prone to get their activism from secular humanists. Because the goal from secular humanists is, I want what's best for me. Like the goal is to is to obtain as much influence, authority, and power for myself because I feel like I am the arbitrator of what is all good and right. The gospel doesn't give us that kind of uh, uh, um, a leeway. The gospel doesn't give us that kind of 
of of platform in which to operate. It gives us the platform to operate out of self denial, out of out of sacrifice, right? And so in that, what we're saying is, though you are my enemy, <laughs> the goal is not to obliterate you. The goal is to reconcile. And I love one of my favorite quotes is from my brother John O, who is a pastor here in Atlanta. He says, "God doesn't desire ceasefires; He desires to make." enemies family right is that not the gospel the goal is to take people from making them enemies to family and if you if you operate in bitterness and hate you never desire to resolve conflict right and so the civil rights movement are a lot of people within the civil rights movement especially leadership within the SCLC their posture was we're going to be nonviolent not only in action but we're going to be nonviolent in our ideology in the sense that we're trying to instill hope in the people and aspiration because if all we do is is if if we operate out of hate bro i'm telling you that's a it's that's a that's a poisonous thing hate is it's not only something that is deadly to other people it's deadly to you um and so as long as uh, this idea that captives uh to, to have hope it keeps slaves from it keeps captives or the oppressed from feeling like slaves. And so as long as I have hope, there's no, there's no bondage that can keep me from seeing an end goal that is beautiful in the, in the light of the gospel. And so uh, I, I think it's important for thought leaders and activists today to be critical. I think it's important for them to challenge, to create dissonance at moments. That's the one thing about the, the nonviolent movement is that we're not just going to be passive we're going to be active we're going to create dissonance like we're going to promote tension like the whole idea is that i'm going to i'm going to get in your space and i'm going to let you know that there's something wrong with this this is not the kingdom this is not the beloved community in which you know what i'm saying that we believe god has promoted so we're creating tension we're going to let you know about like look but at the end of the day i'm creating this tension in order to create reconciliation right and i think a lot of our activism today is to create tension, to create dissonance, but for the purposes of, of, of bringing guilt and leaving it there and, in, and, 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 and backpedaling. And that's not, the, that's not the final product. The product is to bring guilt, <laughs> to bring shame, but shame that leads to a reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when we talk about church attendance, do you think people are looking for things that don't exist when, they, when they're looking for church attendance? They're looking for... Absolutely. <laughs> Yo, if I can be completely honest right now, I'm gonna be completely transparent. Um, I love my church, Blueprint Church, is a church I go to in Atlanta. I love it. Um, is it the ideal church? Absolutely not. Um, my brother is a great. I think he's a really great leader. Um, I think we through 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 our tenure, our tenure through our tenure existence, we've had great communicators and great leaders, people who went on to plant churches in New York, Atlanta, Miami, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But is it, do I have great deep frustrations with my church almost every Sunday? Absolutely. Do I think about leaving my church a lot? Absolutely. But then where am I gonna go? <laughs> Cause I'm gonna go somewhere, I'm gonna go somewhere where I'm gonna find new problems. And I'm gonna be like, y'all joking. I miss don't. my old problems. <laughs> exactly, I miss my old, I'm gonna go back to my old problems. Cause at least I knew how to deal with those old problems, right? And that's, I think that's, there's this fantasy we exist with in Christianity. And it's and it's a, it's the market. It's the not the market. It's the uh, well. It is how we treat the marketplace. It's 
consumerism, right? The consumerism of America is infiltrated, and that's part of the Christian, the capitalistic Christian culture has infiltrated within society. It's like, well, if I don't like this, I'll just move on to the next job. Or if I don't like your product, I'll just go buy it from someone else. Well, we've created this idealism within even Christians that, well, if I don't like the way you preach, then I'll just go, if I don't like the way you serve. And I don't think we've developed any kind of real muscles with self, of self-perseverance and, uh, not self-perseverance, us, um, uh, self-denial, uh, long-suffering, and uh, conflict resolution. Because people could just leave a situation and go to something better, right? Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There, it doesn't exist. Like, I don't know what church you're going to go to, but that church doesn't exist. <laughs> it's, it's Where funny. it's perfect. Yeah. It's funny because I'm like, I don't think people want to go to heaven because they don't like church people. <laughs> they don't. We hate, bro, we spend so much time exalting and praising sect like the non-Christians for the work they do in this, the justice space. People, it seems so fashionable now to like, uh, don't get me wrong. I've I've always I've done this to some degree. I love the James Baldwin's of the world and and uh, the Bell Hooks. I listen. I'll read these folks, and I'll I know that these folks have a lot to offer, right? But at the same time, the one thing that I didn't do is, or at least you know what? I mean, let me try to be humble. At least the one thing that I'm learning now, and I and I hope that I've been consistent with it in the past, is while I love the secular thought and thinker like people who have openly said that they're not Christian. I've also said, you know what? We also have to show honor to the brothers and sisters of the faith. You know what I mean? And hold tightly to the scripture and, and recognize just as much as James Baldwin offers some great solutions to issues. He's also given some very ridiculous solutions. And, and a lot of his thought is not healthy in the same way that I can say, man, these Christian thinkers and leaders have given some great, healthy examples of what it looks like to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. They've also been, done and said some very ridiculous things. Um, but I don't see that balance in today's society. It's today's activists and work. And that's why the woke movement is somewhat so it, it's so, so self-righteous in a sense that it's it it, it it perpetuates this idea that I know what's best. Like, you know what I mean? Like uh, and it's so interesting that it pokes fun at people who are um, well. Yeah. So anyway, I just get on these rampages because <laughs> it so frustrates me. <laughs> but I will say this is that um, I, it, it interests, it, it's very interesting how oftentimes I find this applauding people who are antagonizing to the Christian faith and who are antagonizing to the church, while at the same time, these folks who praise them offer no real solution and to your point, have no real equity. Right. I said this on one of my uh, shows. I got something to say. And if you don't watch it, another shameless plug um, that a lot of these folks, especially some Christian folks, just found out they were black two weeks ago because they took some <laughs> some human, some human, uh, 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 no, some sexuality and and sociology class. Right. In college. And so but they don't really have any equity in the black community. They don't go to black colleges. They don't go to black churches. They don't live in black communities. They don't frequent black institutions and businesses, and but they can criticize everything about whiteness. They can criticize everything about the black church, but they really don't have any real equity. And anybody can throw, you know, bombs from a distance. My thing is like, how do you get in the midst of things to create change and build up equity in it, right? So, yeah. 
And that balance is so crucial. And I think one of the things that I'm seeing that I think is problematic for Black evangelicalism is in this space, seek white evangelicalism, um, they paint the Black church in a perfect light. And that's dangerous because there's problems in every in every sect. So one of the reasons that I think I'm able to maintain this balance is because I have to enter white spaces where I'm like, what the heck are y'all doing? But then I also, <laughs> next week I'll be in all black space. I'm like, what the heck are we doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> so I don't have a real unrealistic picture of space. Absolutely. So no, when, yeah. you're, when you're out of spaces, sometimes you can paint, um, paint spaces in a way that's not just not realistic. Absolutely. It's like there are issues in, in multi-ethnic spaces, in white spaces, in black spaces. No, yeah. So don't be unrealistic with your expectations. Critique them and 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 do the, the things that are important. You know, create, you know, ask some questions, but don't think you're going to leave one space and another space is going to be perfect. Because that's just not the case. It's, it just doesn't exist. Amen. And, um, and sometimes we're looking, what we're frustrated with in one space is the answer. Uh, we're the answer to the problem that we, we solve in that space, but we oftentimes don't have the patience to be that answer. That's good. That's good. My brother says, uh, my brother Dahadi says, homogeneous uh-huh. and hide out in homogeneous spaces. And there's truth in that. Like, I do think uh, that's the reason why cultural exchange is important. There's the reason why understanding and seeing color is quite important is because the things that white people may be able to like bring entering into contexts that are that you don't regularly exist in helps so much it just it, it just does like the more i hang around white people like the other day i just went to <laughs> i went to i went to i went to charlottesville virginia last week that's real <laughs> close to lynchburg i used to drive to all the okay, time there we go so you know, after the whole events in Charlottesville, somebody's like, hey, man, why don't you come to Charlottesville? And uh, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I want to go to Charlottesville. But I go there, and I'm having dinner with my brother, Greg, Dr. Uh, Greg Thompson. Wonderful dude. Oh, man, I love his brother. Um, white gentleman. And he's like, okay, for dinner. He's like, what are we have for dinner? And he, uh, hopefully this is, this is, uh, he, don't have any, he don't have any problems with me sharing this. But uh, <laughs> they do, his family does this thing where, they have like uh, breads, crackers. They have like this, um, what do you call it? Like a smorgasbord, like a a pallet. What? I forget the word. But anyway, they pull out this board and they do like, you know, salami meats, like different type of like cut meats, crackers and cheeses, and like high end, like crackers and cheeses, not like your Ritz crackers, right? Grapes, almonds, like olives. And that's dinner. And they were just like, you know, and, I, and when he first told me about that, I was like, what the? <laughs> I was like, I ain't about to eat no salami and crackers and bread and olives for dinner like that. But when I did it, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is great. And thank you for inviting me into your world. That's reconciliation. Because guess what's happening? I'm taking this to my house. And one day we're going to do this. We're gonna, <laughs> I'm going to break out some, <laughs> some meats, some breads, some olives, some almonds. And we're just gonna have this for dinner, and my my kids better not complain because this is what when I when we put something on the table, you gonna eat it. 
But that's the kind of thing that you, when you're, when you're in different kind of contexts, you learn, you appreciate. And that's, I'm like, yo, this will forever change my life. And I think that's beautiful. <laughs> Shout out to Dr. Greg Thompson. <laughs> and I know we're running out of time. I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, but why do you think so many Christian thought leaders and artists don't attend church? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, so I had that tension. One, I think you, the, the greater your platform gets, the you know the more people are pulling you right and that creates two problems one you're on the road often and that means you're away from your local context whether that be small groups whether that be whatever 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 role that you play in that church you're probably going to have to you're, you're going to have you're going to do that less because you're traveling you're on the road the other thing is is that you create a platform and so people want to hear you more. I think that feeds into the ego of the artist and the platform leader. And they feel like they should have more, more say and leverage in a church than they probably have. And I think that creates some problems for the leadership because then they either feel like they have to, um, they have to uh, comply with uh, this individual or they have to hold their ground and be like, well, no, like, I mean, just because you're popular and you may be more popular than me or us as a leadership doesn't mean that you're going to have more power. Like, um, and I think sometimes that leads the artist or the platform leader to be like, well, I'll just go to another place where I can have influence without having real equity in the church or very little equity in the church. And I saw that in my own life. Like when I was touring and traveling a lot, um, maybe four or five years ago, I would talk about the, my commitment to the local church, but I was never there. And the reality is, is that it's very problematic. And this is where true authority tests you. Because even though you're more popular, you, you can't pimp or hijack the church for your own personal benefit. Hmm. And I think this is part of the, the tension that you have to come to as a leader or uh, as, a, as a platform leader as like how how much do I truly believe of the gospel, even though I'm popular, even though I have this influence of power, I still want to submit it to my church and say that I'm at you i'm I'm at the service of the of the leadership because I truly trust and believe in you and the problem is is when people get to feed your ego um the same leaders who you could trust four years ago, you probably don't trust now because you start to believe your own hype, and that leadership hasn't changed it's just you have changed, and things that you believe have changed and rather than hijacking that, what you should do is have real strategic, uh, intentional conversations with those people and still be submitted unto them. I mean, there's a lot of things that I believe that my church doesn't hold to, but I'm trying to be submissive in a way that is honoring unto the Lord and to the people who've served me because they helped me get to this space that I'm in, I'm at now. And just because I'm, my platform may be bigger than some of them, doesn't mean that I have the audacity or I shouldn't have the audacity to say, you know what, because I've developed these new thoughts and ideas about the faith. You guys should, you guys should be, uh, you guys should comply to me, you know? So I think it just takes a lot of, uh, and it takes some humility of the church as well, the leaders to recognize that should we listen, should we op have an open door policy? And that's, and, and, I, and I do find that a lot of church leaders do are prideful in the sense that they push against leaders. Like, well, just because you're popular, you ain't gonna tell me what to do. <laughs> and that's a that's a problem in itself. So I think pastors need to understand that they're servants as well. They're not CEOs. They're servants of churches.
And I think one thing to add to that, I when, when I've talked to artists and other thought leaders, is because they hang around pastors, they see the flaws. Oh uh, yeah. And sometimes when you see too much of a person, you have a hard time submitting yourself to them. Um, but which is which is not a good excuse on one level because you as an individual know you're flawed and you should know your mess. So you should know like, well, if people were giving me the time of day to listen to me on on a large level, then I can give other people because I know even if they don't tell me they're a mess, I know you're a mess. I know you jack up, right? So I I get it. I understand and I respect that. But I um, <laughs> that don't fly. Because you're not considering your flaws. Because if you leave yeah. the church and yeah, nah. get close to you, everybody probably gonna leave. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's why it's so funny. Like I get people who want to hang out with me. Like they'll move to Atlanta. <laughs> they'll move to Atlanta, and they'll want to hang with me, and they'll want to get to know me. And I'm <laughs> and the reality is, is once they do, they realize I'm so I'm just not impressive. I'm just not like. You think that it's gonna be fun all the time, like oh, it's gonna be turned up. I'm just gonna get, we gonna get deep and have it. And it's just like, bro, I'm just gonna be around my kids, my wife. I'm just, I'm a boring dude at times, and I'm not impressive. And then you're gonna realize, like, yes, I have flaws. I'm not gonna return your texts and your calls. Um, <laughs> and, and so, and it's just like, yo, show's a jerk. <laughs> and it's like maybe, and that's one of my flaws. And so we got we to gotta understand that people are, we just are messed up. So that's why I think going back to your point about churches being jacked up, the same thing about people, same thing with people. We're, you know, the people make up jacked up churches. That's why churches are jacked up. The last question. Do you have time for one more question? I do. Okay. Uh, if a person feels like their church doesn't address the needs, the social issues of the day, what advice would you give them? I don't know. This is, that's a real hard question. Um, I just I, I'm as of right now, I'm in the I'm in the practice of telling people to 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 develop muscles of longevity and conflict resolution rather than leaving. So address the issues like um, our church is a church that didn't address directly um, the issues of Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown initially when they went down. And I was deeply disappointed. I was an elder at the time. Yeah, I was an elder at the time for both of them. And I remember walking in the elder meetings being like, this is a problem. Like, this has to, like, we, we have to address these issues. And I am so disappointed that we didn't say anything on the, the Sunday. Uh, we just aren't dealing with them. And then once the complaints start rolling in, once they started to see the need, because this is the other thing, you can't just say they need to do something. You have to give reasons why, right? You have to give very theological reasons why God cares about these issues. You can't just say Black Lives Matter and expect you're Black or you're white pastor. Because this is the thing. People think this is just the issue in white churches. No, it's an issue in Black churches too. Black. I remember I spoke at a church not too long ago, I think it was this summer, where they had me on a panel. And the pastor was asking me questions. And the issue of repentance came up. And... And the pastor was like, well, I don't know about restitution and, and reparations, because if we give these black folk money, all they're going to do is buy Jordans. And I was just sitting there and the church was like, hey, man, pastor, and, and like giggling. And I was sitting there just like, are y'all serious? <laughs> are y'all serious right now? That's and that's the view, because that's a view that they have of their community. They see black people in their community as welfare like prostitute or welfare. I forgot the term that they call it, but people who just pimp out the system. Black people, right? 
Yeah, these are black people, right? These are black people who have these views of other black people. So these are issues that you're going to have to fight through in all types of churches, right? Um, and so you got to give a theological reason in a humble way um, where why is, why is God concerned with issues of justice and, and issue, issues of, of uh, social issues in our society, right? And be patient. Learn how to communicate those in a very, a very humble but very strong, truthful, convicting way. And work with those folks. The thing is, is that your transition to understanding justice didn't come overnight as well. So other people are, it's going to take people time. Um, think about process. The church, Christians don't believe in process. We just, we feel like people should be transformed overnight. That's in discipleship. That's in all kinds of area. And so for people who haven't been aware, especially white people who haven't been educated in issues of injustice, who've existed in a, in a, who've operated in blindness because they're so far removed from injustice. Some of them, the whole idea of the suburbs were developed to get away from the city, to get away from these issues, right? So you got people who have been raised blind. To get them to understand it overnight is going to be, it's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so be patient. And I would say just, um, another thing is I would say encourage them to read people who are different outside of their own uh, I guess you could say ideological views in a sense. Get them to read people that can challenge their thought. Get them to read Christian thinkers who are who probably process differently than them. Uh, challenge them to, you know, hey, listen to this this sermon. Read this pastor. Read this theologian. Um, and I would say endure. Uh, I don't think leaving is going to be the best answer for any situation. Um, it's like a marriage to me. I think these are covenant. I think when you talk about covenant relationships, people need to learn how to deal and develop. Now, if there becomes very, 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 very unhealthy, and I think today what we've developed is everything is unhealthy. Everything's violent. Uh, just because somebody disagreed with me, that's violence. And I'm like, that's so weak. I think we developed in weak people in society today. Um, but there are certain times where something is very violent and, and there's abuse, whether it be uh, mental or spiritual abuse, then I do think there, there may be a time for you to leave and exit that church and find churches that um, will promote health. And so, yeah, but I would say just because there's disagreement doesn't mean you should leave a church. Um, so, but I would say, yeah, hopefully that all made sense. I'll just get to rambling. <laughs> yeah, I think that's vital. I was at a, um, doing a workshop uh, for women's discipleship last year, and there was a. Um, Why can't you do a workshop for men's discipleship? Huh? 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 That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I could. Some people wouldn't allow it. <laughs> My bad. Go ahead. But um, uh, so it was the pastor's wife. It was a it's an older uh, black church, and the pastor's wife was in there, and it was actually another elder's wife that was in there for from a new like church plant. And uh, the pastor's wife from from the older uh, missionary Baptist church was like, you know, the young people don't want to be around us. They just go to the new church place. <laughs> and the uh, the younger elder's wife was like, you know, we're really having a problem in our church um, with women and them knowing how to uh, raise their children because everybody's the same age. Yeah. And we disconnected from the older people. And while we feel like our sermons are better and more theologically robust, there's some practical stuff. Amen. That we don't have Preach. because we've disconnected ourselves from our elders. 
And, and I think hearing them say that was it was just something that I I see all the time. And it wasn't until they said it that it really like came together in my head. Like we're disconnecting ourselves from parts of ourselves that we need because we're the body. And we're like, oh, I can just take this. And I'm so glad. Like when I got all my, when I got into all this theological knowledge and I was like, I was feeling like I needed to tell my dad what he needed to preach. <laughs> when I, started, <laughs> I don't think he was paying me no attention though. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> he did let me, allow me to teach an apologetics course. But as at, at one point I started to be a real disgruntled church member. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I feel like we need to be teaching. I saw R.C. Sproul doing something that I think we just need to implement. Here. We need to be teaching and on the five solas. We need to <laughs> we need to be bringing Calvin's Institutes up in here. I don't know why my pastor keep talking about people need jobs. They need the gospel first before they need jobs. And it was so crazy because, but when I went through different things, I wasn't looking for R.C. Sproul sermon. I was looking for the mothers in the church to pray for me. And so, mm, mm, come on. <laughs> you just preached that thing right there. Come on, somebody. And so I think sometimes we disconnect ourselves from something because we like, well, they don't have what this church is doing without realizing what is there. Yeah. And that sometimes, like I said earlier, what is missing God has placed you there strategically to add that as a supplement, but that doesn't mean that everything has to change based on one element. And I think that's so important that we know, uh, no, because it's going to be people in heaven that don't dis that disagree with us doctrinally. Uh, there are going to be some people in hell that agree with us doctrinally. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and, um, preaching. the church members that we don't like will be in heaven. So do we really want to go to heaven because if we don't want to be around church members on earth, why do we want to spend eternity with a group of folks we don't like? Um, you preaching. I don't, I don't know if I need to say anything after that. You killed it. So uh, what would be your closing remarks? Um, <laughs> I just this? said I wouldn't say nothing after that. You asked me about a closing remark. <laughs> uh, well, any projects you have coming up that you want to highlight? I do. Uh, just I'm working on a, I'm working on a project. Um, I'm work. I can't. I don't know if I can. How much? He's working on the Jude Four project. A Jude Four. I'm working on the Jude Four. Jude Four project <laughs> is the goal is to put Jude Three out of business because I don't get enough uh, recognition for being a founder and co-host and whatnot. So, um, no, I will say this: I am working on a stage play, a musical that deals with the sanitation strike, uh, sanitation worker strike that led to MLK's death. And so I am extremely excited. I got some wonderful people who are partnering and more information will be coming out soon about that. So, um, I mean, fourth district, just stay, you know, we, 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 I do a, a week, well, not weekly. I try to do like a bi-monthly show called, I got something to say. We're going to have you on soon as hopefully next time you're in Atlanta. And, uh, Man, I, let me say this. Thank you very much. As much as I joke about, you know, Jew 3 and whatnot, but thank you for what you do. I think this is something that is quite pivotal and is necessary for not just the black church, but for the church in general. When people, when I, when I go speak and people are always asking me, man, what resource would you give me? I give them books. 
I give them people, but I also tell them about Jew 3. Um, and that's black, white, Latino, Asian, whoever, because I think it's important that they, they begin to kind of enter into this space to, to hear people of color talk about issues that are close to their heart. And so if you don't ever hear uh, a thank you or get an applause for what you're doing, you're going to get it from me. And I greatly appreciate your heart and your posture and your position and what you're doing and what Jew 3 is and what it's going to be for um, our society. Whenever it gets to the point where it can be like the next uh, RZIM, is that what it's called? Or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just just remember the lowly people like me who helped you get to where you are. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, because we had to use your celebrity uh, to help prop us up. I'm just saying, just remember me. Remember me. When you start getting the real famous people, just remember me. That's all I'm saying. Just remember I helped you. You know what I'm saying? And we're going back on That's tour. This- uh, yes, we are. We're going to do this thing. Vince, can I, can I also say how Vince Montu is like the smartest dude in the world? And I, so we. I don't feel I'm, like we should even be on stage. I, that's, you asked me to come talk about black, black people, or, or white man's religion, Christianity. And I had no idea who this dude Vince, to, Vince Bantu was, Dr. Bantu was. You had this dude speak first and you were like, all right, show us your turn to speak. And I was like, what? You want to have me speak after this? <laughs> I, like, I set you up for failure. You did. So I look. Next time we speak, my game. I got. I am ready. I got. I, I had like thirteen books. I'm ready. Look. <laughs> now I ain't about to get shamed after that, brother. So anyway, God bless what you're doing, uh, man. I think it's amazing. Thank you. That's encouraging. How how can people get in contact with you on social media? I think. Are you still on social media? Right? I, I am. I'm trying to turn that into a, like a long, a long term thing. I think it's been good for my soul. Now I will promote stuff. So like when this video is released, I'll put it up on my Facebook page and I'll try to put it other places. But I don't like interact with people anymore uh, because it just takes too much time. It, it, it takes too much mental energy for me. And um, when I engage, it takes me through rabbit holes. And you know that's thirty minutes, forty minutes wasted. Where I believe, I still believe in authentic interaction with people. If I really, I'm, I'm going to talk to you in real life. I'm going to hang with you. I'm going to sit down. We're going to have a conversation. And plus the other thing is I don't think people need to know everything that I'm doing in my life. <laughs> like <laughs> they don't need to know what I'm doing every second of the You don't hour. want to Snapchat? You brush your teeth? No, nah, it's not just, that's not important. That's a, just a certain part of privacy and privacy that I think is important. So, so yeah, um, I don't know if I'll ever get back to where I once was. But I, I don't know I'll engage in some way in the future. I just don't know when that's gonna be. I'm gonna put you on also, to engage with the uh the cult uh black cult leaders that uh come on our, our G3 page. Oh, what do they they come on what, what's up? What's up with the No, when we talk about like Hebrew Israelites and anything they, coming on there? they like come and troll. I just I after I read one comment, I'm done. I just don't yeah. have the time. Oh uh, yeah, they call you did they call you Negro like sucked in. They I call you I Negro pen. All day, I can't do it. They call you like a Negro European, a Negro pen. <laughs> they tell me I need to wake up. Yeah, my, they, uh, they, uh, them jokers. Was, I was woke too long. I had to get rest. <laughs> hey, I take a nap all the time. I'm like y'all jokers so woke. I take I take many naps. Like sleep is good for the body and the soul. <laughs> so <laughs> these jokers be. I call it a white supremacist timeout. I, you got to take one every now and then. You got to take a white supremacist timeout. I mean, this is the problem because if you chase chasing white supremacy all day long, you become defined by that. And I am not defined by my opposition. I can't do it. And, and you don't have do time to equip your people. I, I, I too much. 
Somebody, come on. You preaching? I can't talk, I can't talk about. Let me put my headphones back on. This is the. This is the problem. When you so when you're so obsessed with the opposition, your whole life is evolved around that. And you're talking about blackness. You're talking about black identity, or you're talking about equipping people, or or fighting for injustices. No, really, what you're doing is you're trying to build a platform arguing against the oppression, right? And you're never doing anything that brings any real substantive value to the community in which you think you're serving. And that is such a problem. It is such a problem. And thank you. We could have had a whole conversation just about that, cuz. Yeah, cuz I, I don't I don't spend a lot of time uh one of the things people have been asking me about, like, what do you think about people exiting evangelicalism? I'm like, I I I don't really care. <laughs> I care about equipping, unapologetically equipping black people um, so we can progress. And I don't have time to spend a lot of time on that because it it doesn't all the time produce enough fruit. And the fruit I'm trying to, that's other people's lane. So I won't take it away from other people's lane. But my lane, I know, is to equip our people. Absolutely. And. I'm going to spend the bulk of my time doing that because Thank you. a lot of the people that uh, that I minister to don't even know what evangelicalism is. All right. Really. So, so I'm going to tell you, I, and this I is my last thing, I'm gonna, and I'm going to encourage you, and this is another reason why I'm going to encourage you for the work you do with Jew 3 Project. And when D.A. Horton introduced me to you, I was like, thank you, Jesus. About When did Rob Bell write his book, uh, Lovelands? Whenever that was. It was probably like 2013, maybe 2000. I don't know. 14. He wrote that book. I remember evangelicalism going up and like they were like, oh, my gosh, it was 18 blogs a day debating Rob Bell's Love Wins book. People wrote, you know, Chan wrote A Race in Hell and Kevin DeYoung writing all this stuff. And I remember sitting in my house in East Point, Georgia, spending a lot of time around black folk. And I'm like, at some point I realized I was like, man, this is like, why do I? care about what all these people think of Rob Bell's book. I was like, because every time I walk outside, I'm having conversation with the comedic science folks who are thinking that Jesus is a ripoff from Osiris. I'm having a conversation with these Hebrew Israelites. I'm having a conversation with the nation of gods and earth. And I'm like, nobody on these streets care about Rob Bell. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> they don't even have a clue of who he is. They don't, first of all, they don't, so who's going to start helping me to equip and debate these dudes. And when I, yo, and so that's, that was, that was when I really started to change. It may have been 2012, because I remember there was, a, there was this moment in my life when I was like, you know what? I'm done. I am so done with, um, with even concerning myself with the arguments of white evangelicalism. Um, now, does that mean that I don't, I love them, brothers. I love them. And if they invite me to come speak somewhere, I'll speak there. But I'm not going to be overly concerned with the issues of people that I don't think um, exist in my, uh, how can I say this without sounding like a separatist? <laughs> I, I recognize that, that we live in particular context. And if all I'm doing is I'm concerned about Brazil, for instance, right? I live in America. America has its own problems. I can't be concerned with Brazil and Spain's uh, issues with Catalonia and its split as a government. I'm like, oh, man, that's interesting. I want to learn about that. But guess what? America has its own issues, right? And so it's the same thing. White evangelicalism is a culture. It's a, it's a context. And 
as long as they're going to operate within the context and the structures that they do, then God bless it, you know, whatever. There are issues over there, obviously. And if they want me to come and speak to those issues, I'll do it. But I'm not going to be overly concerned about that. And I thank God for Jude 3 Project because when I found it, when DA was like, you need to meet this sister, I was like, this is what I've been begging for all my life. And I want to thank you. The Lord has sent you. He has put you, he has blessed you for such a time as now to go forth and to be our Joshua into the promised land. Come on. <laughs> I do got to go. Uh, now, but I don't know you. about all that. Oh, no, you, that's the thing. But see, that's the thing. You don't, you don't get to pick your calling, amen. Like, you don't get to decide. <laughs> the Lord does that, amen. Gideon didn't get to. Gideon was chosen, amen. Amen. And you going back to the costume. You coming <laughs> over here with us. Amen. Yeah, if he would have had his choice, he would have backed out. Lisa, you've been called for this, amen. And that shows that you're ready for this calling because you don't want it. You don't feel equipped. But guess what? It is in the power of the spirit. And if you trust in God, you will take us to victory. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.